Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey Hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by PDAC. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustleshare PDAX. Also powered by Podmachine the simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. Yeah, because if you're if you're really pushed to the wall, sometimes you will just not be rational. So you got to stay rational. You got to hold your ground and still show that, yeah, you can do this even without the investor because you know you can. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. I'm with a good friend of mine. Again, I've been I've known for a while now. Uh, since we were part of Tatler's list last year, right? Um, a Philippine Tatler's list uh, again that luckily represented um, our communities, especially in the Philippines. But we were technically under two different categories, right? At that point, right? But before I get carried and say all of that, I'll I'll give you the floor in a bit because we have the founder and CEO. 
of you, Mr. Dustin Ong Hang Seng. Dustin, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ron. <laughs> no worries. Again, this is amazing. We've we've been talking back and forth, uh, and finally we saw each other in person in the Build Startup Festival. Yep, first time. Felt yeah. weird. <laughs> I felt weird to see people that I talked to in Zoom for a long time. Like, oh, so that's you. I didn't know that. Yeah. But there. <laughs> At least now I'm able to validate that I'm not being catfished anymore. But I, I want to know from your point of view again, uh, how uh, this came about. And in order to do that, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Dustin, what's your hustle? Yeah, my hustle is sustainability and climate. Yeah, so it's really about making the world a better place. Wow, that's a big hustle, right? But how how do you guys typically do that in you? Just to just to dig down deeper a little bit because that's a little, that's a big hustle to tackle per se. But in mm-hmm. you, who in what you guys do? What do you what is, what specific sector of climate and sustainability are you trying to solve? Uh, the specific sector would be the built environment. So the built environment comes in two forms. It's going to be uh, your residential, like your homes, uh, where you live, the apartments. Uh, and the other aspect to it would be on the commercial and industrial side. So these would be like the malls, the office towers, the industrial buildings. So how it operates, how they consume energy, the kind of carbon footprint that they emit. Yeah, it varies. Yep. This is the type of shit we see in the you know World Economic Forum type of stuff. But <laughs> this, again, it's it's great to see uh, you know someone working on this and really tackle it head on. And in you to to be specific with those problems, what exactly do you guys bring to to solve it? Right? Because again, mm-hmm. so a lot of people will talk about this high level, but man, the same shit still exists. Nobody really made a dent. Right or a lot of people are trying, but it requires a real effort, consistent effort uh, to, to really do that. And of course, technology to make that work. So what what are the what does you who specifically do? Because I'll be I'll be the idiot that I am. The other you who that I know is the barbecue, which is very good. <laughs> Not oh. <the> chocolate drink. <laughs> no 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 no. The barbecue in Metro. <laughs> And in Poblacion, the Yuhu Barbecue. <laughs> All right. That's not it. This is not a barbecue company, guys. All right. <laughs> this is you and then HOO. All right. Yeah. What, what does Yuhu do? Yeah. So what we do is we build hardware and software to the environment that you stay in. So specifically the air that you breathe. Because uh, the quality of the air that you breathe affects your entire health and well-being. If you, uh, let's say, for example, in your home, when you wake up in the morning, sometimes you may feel a bit lethargic, like you're not refreshed or energized. And that's the the most likely cause is you don't have enough fresh air during the night. Because at least in the Philippines or tropical countries, we often turn on the air conditioner, right? So what that means is uh, the air inside your room is actually just trapped in there. When you're exhaling it, it's staying inside the room. You're not getting fresh air you're not getting fresh oxygen that's back why your CO2 levels just keep on going up that's so why that's I, it feels so dry and it feels like what's yes. that what the hell did i just go through it i didn't do anything i did my normal routine wash my face brush my teeth kiss my wife i'm like what 
what happened? Why why do I feel like shit every morning? So that's why. And we'll deep we'll we'll dig down yep. deeper um uh, as we go along in this episode. But before we dig down, I need you to buckle up, my friend, because you know this, I've said this during the bus ride. We're gonna have to ride the hustle share time machine. I tried to steal that uh, electric bus that we rode up. I said I called it an electric blimo. So for context, uh, there's this uh, awesome. company uh, that uh, chauffeured us from Rockwell to the venue on the Build Startup Festival. It was a, it was a, I forgot what it was called, but it was an electric bus. So get if you're pass or something, get yeah. pass or something like that. Um, it was an electric bus. And I said, I'm going to steal this thing. <laughs> I did not. I did not succeed, unfortunately. Someday I will get, I will get to steal my own electric bus and uh, go 200 kph on the skyway. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I, I am not Dominic Toretto. Okay. But for you, Dustin, let's, let's go all the way back. What, mm-hmm. what's, um, what's your origin story? How did you um, start your journey? You know, in hustling before you even became an entrepreneur, how did you grow up? Or were you influenced by anyone or someone growing into growing growing up? Or what was that like? Uh, well, I mean, born and raised in the Philippines, grew up here, uh, grade school, high school, studied in Savior. Oh, there you go, Jesuits. Oh, huh? <laughs> this boy, there you go. Uh-huh. Then went to Ateneo for two years. Uh, no, no offense to the Athenians, but didn't really enjoy the wow. Time okay, there. you've had yeah. enough of the Jesuit life, huh? You had already Savior, and then you yeah. went to Ateneo. Same. I eventually moved to Singapore. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now, yeah, c- right. couple of things. Um, growing up, was there were you exposed to a entrepreneurial family? Was there a family business? Was there, you know, um, and what was that? The and where were you? Forced, or were you encouraged to participate in, in in that? And if 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 not, what was the indelible mark that you've seen in your parents or your family that mm-hmm. they are used to doing that probably sticks with you till now? Yep. Yeah. So uh, my dad has his own business. Uh, so it's uh, importing trading of construction materials, particularly oh. tiles, quartz. Yeah. So it's important retail of it. And yeah, I guess I learned a lot from just watching him do this business. And as a typical like Chinese Filipino, and uh, we always a- get asked to go to the family business. Usually, <laughs> ask you know, is a nice word. I've seen people get forced, get thrust into <laughs> do that, you know. But it, it again, in the end, it pays off. But what were they? What did they ask you to do? Yeah, like just join the family business. Yeah, so so it's like take over it eventually. Ah, okay. yeah, and for me, it's like it's not my interest. So, yeah, I actually went to Singapore and did corporate. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Before you even you did uh, corporate, just you did study in NUS, okay? Mm-hmm. The yep. NUS, okay? This is not just NUS, like whatever school. This is the National University of Singapore, well, easily one of the best schools in Asia, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's not, you don't just get into NUS if you're a random schmuck, okay? Because there's even, you know... Uh, levels of schooling from what i know in, in singapore right but yep walk me through this so again you tried at the nail here 
why Singapore and what was life like there? Because any anytime you go away from your family and you're technically on your own to mm-hmm. figure life out, though again, again, you're you're not that far out, but still a different thing. How was that experience like? Because Singapore, if if you're not ready to hustle, that it will eat yes. you up, chew you up, and spit you out alive. That's right. right? Yeah. How was that like? Yeah, so uh, I mean, I moved to Singapore because I received a scholarship from the Singapore government. Mm-hmm. So my entire education was paid for by the Singapore Amazing. government. Yeah, and I mean, like what you mentioned, like you really need to hustle when you're there. The whole yeah. environment there is really all about hustle, hustle, hustle. And it's about uh, studying. And I'm not a really bookish type of person. Okay. So I see the students there. It's like at the start of the semester, they're already studying for the final exam. What? which is a bit crazy right and for me i don't even want to attend classes i attend my classes just to get the attendance tick yeah but i prefer to just like listen to the professors instead of taking notes or like doing the assignments i don't really like doing those i prefer the practical stuff and, wow. and i guess one of the things that i did while i was there is uh within the four years in nus i already did like eight internships with different companies before i graduated whereas the majority would just have one or two so yeah. you really like the 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 real life application yeah, of your thing, but yeah, and that's right. This is important because again, um, most career paths that I see, they think that it's a step by step process in 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 getting to life, right? That I need to graduate first before I go for my internship. Those are rules set up by by norms that there that actually has no basis. Like for me, I started. Working when I was in between first year and second year of college, I worked in a call center. And that's why I have this accent. It stuck with me till now. Right. But that's right. And if you if the route that you took is internship and you you did eight of them yep. early, I want to understand in those internships, that's technically getting your a, a two to three, four year head start of professional experience that none of your peers will have when they graduate. Walk me through these internships that you did and what are those things you you learned from these internships that you, 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 you did? Yeah, so uh, I guess some of the more memorable ones. Uh, one was with HP. That was more yeah, understanding like how the corporate You have to say it like a Singaporean, like, bro. HP. That's how they do <laughs> I, I couldn't even get the accent over there. HP. I you HP la. There you go. All right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, HP is one of them. And uh, it's really understanding the corporate environment, understanding how they do documentation and processes. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the big fan of process because it slows a lot of things down. Although it creates a lot of structure, I still prefer speed over just having structure. And another mm-hmm. one of the internships I had was with a dental company. So they were Got actually it. trying to expand, uh, building up multiple chains across the country in Singapore. And what we were doing was more on the marketing side. How do we help them create a brand? How do we help them uh, engage with different customers? How do we get them to pull customers in? And back then, there wasn't really a lot of digital marketing yet because that was like uh, 2005, 2006. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So that's another one. Uh, another one was another with a listed firm. And I tried to do like a bit of auditing. Okay. That kind. And I'm like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> Got it. Yep. Yeah. So different experiences. Mm. That's amazing. Now, all right. 
let's just talk, well, talk about the intangibles. What is it about the Singaporean hustle that that uh, the Singaporean cult- culture? Because if you experience that on 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 the academic academic level, and then you now mm-hmm. experience that firsthand in the corporate level, mm-hmm. there's something about how a Singapore really values work more than anything. And also diversity because they're they're again Singapore is forced to get a lot of foreign talent in and they need to embrace diversity not just in the uh, corporate level but even in the cultural level. These are three pretty dominant races that are pretty much working in harmony right here. So they embrace that. What did that environment teach you in terms of like really getting work done? I think it's more about the cultural sensitivity, not so much about getting the work done because Got it's it. being able to understand another person's perspective instead of forcing your perspective onto the other person. And I guess uh, the most important thing or the biggest growth I had with being away from home is really learning how to be independent because uh, you go there, you're a student, you stay in the dorm, you learn how to do things on your own. Yep. You don't have any help. You learn how to do your laundry. You learn how to cook. You learn how to, yeah, everything and whatnot. Got it. And if you end up getting wasted in Club Suite or in Clark Key, you're going to have to wake up and be a big boy. Yeah. You better there find you a way to get back home. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's no, there's no, nobody's going to drive you home or pick, pick, pick you up. Right. Yeah. Now, let's talk about corporate. So, consulting is one of the, I've seen so many startup entrepreneurs that had an amazing head start in their, careers doing consulting and there's not a lot of really good there's only a few great consulting firms to get this from the bcgs of the world but you got your head start in deloitte okay walk (laughs) me through how you got here especially in singapore where again this is the epicenter of consulting in the region right Mm -hmm. they're all again you just technically pick your firm and if you got in the the experience is exponential right like for example former bcg guys uh paulo campos of zalora ryan cool of what's his startup now sarizuki right um these are all former really got the head start in consulting what was that like for you yeah i mean consulting really helps you see the business from different perspectives You, you you don't get to focus on just one aspect of the business you get to understand the whole system of the business, like how one act affects other departments or other processes. So you, you try to not, yeah, for me, at least personally, I try to not specialize in a certain field. Although when I joined Deloitte, uh, a number of my colleagues, they're focused on the auditing side, mm-hmm. which I knew I'm not going to survive there because it's not in my nature. Yeah. So I did more the projects that focus on, let's say, process re-engineering or let's say, uh, strategy, market entry, market penetration. So yeah. GTM and process yeah. engineering. So again, this is, this is a little jargon. So let's make it more basic to us casuals who are listening to this. Mm-hmm. What, in, in, what is process re-engineering? And again, you're working with companies who are probably Fortune 500 levels yep. already, siloed as hell, you know? Mm-hmm. And they have very rigid things and some are some will say yeah i have digital transformation thing but they're not really quite there yet and if the approach you're trying to get for get to is using empathy as a power 
but still you gotta have to make them empathize with you to change some things but when it, when it comes to yeah. uh you know uh process what do you call it again process uh, uh it's called bpr business process reengineering that's okay, the usual BIS- bpr <laughs> oh yeah how does that even work because eventually if you master this skill you can go to any room and pretty much let them reconsider the things that you come in later in life i'm pretty sure this will come in handy especially when you're doing your climate hustle but i'm pretty sure there's a big part of what you are doing now that you got from this what was that yeah so i guess the biggest part is understanding how let's say when we build one process let's say in Mm. yuhu how will that affect the other aspects of the business because what we want to make sure is that nothing is siloed everybody communicates and the data is moving everywhere because with large organizations that i worked with previously maybe the supply chain knows something but the finance doesn't so if there's a disconnect everything slows down there's a loss of information and all that yeah so so it it makes managing the organization more much more difficult in a way but if you have the free flow of information within the company everybody's updated then it makes things much more efficient got it what are the tenets of a nice of a company that have pretty much figured out their BPR because this is also very much applicable to startups, especially as you as you scale your business, right? Uh, it's easy to create a founding team five to ten people, but once you start growing in multiples of three and ten, mm. shit breaks apart, yeah, and it will be very very painful. I'm I'm currently right in the thick of that because all of a sudden there's a new wave of people you're gonna have to train. Knowledge transfer is not the same. You're going to have to make it fit their personnel. The North Star is the same, but my God, the process to get there is absolutely <laughs> difficult. And if you haven't figured this out, you know, or if you're not even aware that you're right in, in the thick of that, you're going to end up making a lot of bad decisions. But what are the tenets that will allow you to operate with the the with a smooth system uh, that will allow that's scalable because this is applicable so much again with startup life because if you really get your shit right you can go from five to literally like oh, the unicorns 600 employees over three years and if you don't have systems at work you are going to feel that crunch yep that's right yeah I, I mean for me it goes back to the numbers mm. so w- when we build our processes how will that affect like our financial numbers if we because we have a hardware component so we have compared to let's say just a simple uh or not not really simple but a software company there's this whole supply chain that we need to manage the logistics the fulfillment mm. yeah it's a whole different business over there and it's really understanding how this will affect your numbers it's cash flow management mm. so if you make a decision let's say let's focus on buying inventory as opposed to focusing on R&D. How will that affect the cash flow, let's say, the next six to nine months? So you need to know how each decision you make affects the other aspects of it. Because for us as a company, uh, we have much more aspects to look at instead of focusing on just the software side of things. Yeah. Got it. All right. Last question before we take our first break. Being a consultant, walk me through the hustle of a consultant. Because I've heard so much hustle stories of people who... (laughs) who live this life and again it eats you up and if you're not ready to put in the work man it, it, it's just not going to be pretty 
walk me through the daily grind of being a consultant and what what was that even like from a time commitment point of view? Uh, I, I guess from a time commitment point of view, I have this mindset of doing of the 80-20 rule, wherein let's focus on the, the 20% of work that I need to do that has the 80% effect or output. So when it comes to time commitment, uh, I, I was like considered a black sheep in Deloitte. A black sheep. Why were you the yeah, black it's, sheep? It's, mm-hmm. it's either you like me or you don't like me. Yes, there's no in between. <laughs> there's no in between. Same, yeah. same with me, my man. There's no yeah. median. Either you hate my fucking guts, or yeah. you love my energy. That's Precisely. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because there, there's no really like time period when people go into the office. The majority of the people go in the office like 10, 11 in the morning. And me, my habit is I'm a morning person, so I'm in the office at seven. So people so nobody, hate you. Everybody looks bad because you're so early in the office. Yeah, and not so much that it looks bad, but because oh. by 3 p.m. I'm out of the office. I head straight to the gym. Ah. And they hate me for that. It's like, are you working or are you not working? But for me, it's like my most productive hours are in the morning when nobody's around. Makes sense. And once people start to come in, I just walk around, chat with people. It's, it's networking already. For me. Got it. You got the yeah. high-impact stuff out because there was pure deep work that you're able to do for the first three, four hours. Yes, that's right. If, if it's not for that, I'd be like, yeah, I'll just be focused on work during the rest of the day. But yeah, it's, it's how I manage my time. So it's really looking at the 80-20. I mean, even when I run Yoohoo right now, it's also looking at the 80-20. Same. And, and as, yeah. a, as, a, as, a, as a founder, you need to find ways to do deep work yeah. because there's a million things that, that are happening all at the same time. And sometimes it's very hard to choose which one is most important. But at the end yes. of the day, as a founder, there are certain things that you cannot delegate mm-hmm. or even automate. For me, you're absolutely correct. That's the shit that I, I do first. Because if I don't do that, then I become the blocker of the whole team. Yep. Right? Sending right. that email, creating this thing, signing some paper, whatever that might be, or even fucking creating a whole presentation that nobody else can do. Mm. That's on me. And then after that, I become support for everybody. What do you need? What do you, what do you help? What, you know, then, because once you start getting in that flow where everybody is all, all of a sudden in your ear, it's going to be hard to go back to that zen mm. where you can do deep work again. And mm. if you do it too late in the day, you're wasted. You're done. Like, I, I can't do deep work anymore. The energy is not there. Correct. Right. Yep. For me, I, I usually have a second wind. That's literally after I do either of the two or both. Uh, it's either I do a bike ride late at night and for an hour or two or three, mm-hmm. after I exercise, I still have that last minute energy before I go to mm-hmm. go to sleep. And that's also where I get to to clear my head. That's why every time after I bike, I usually call Four people in my team was like, hey, you're free for a call. <laughs> I just thought of this when I'm biking. <laughs> I, or, I agree with that. It's the subconscious mind, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I'm listening to a podcast while I'm biking too. So I was like, shit, wow. I, there, there's stimulus in yeah. that brain. And then, or I just really take a nap. I'm a napper. If my brain cannot and my body has nothing to give, it's time to take a snooze and then after a few minutes, probably 15, 20 minutes, I just go, go back out again. Yeah. 
All right. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's discuss how you then went from Deloitte all the way to then become a free, freelance management consultant and to be the founder of YouTube. Well, let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate your growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Dustin Alhangseng again, who uh, uh, told us what life was like being a consultant. But you, you did this for a while, right? Uh, how long did you do, do consultancy work for? I At did least it with for, Deloitte. Uh, with Deloitte, it's three and a half years. And prior to that was uh, BDO. That's a year. Wow. BDO raffles. Yeah. That's amazing. So um, in that in that point, what are the top things that uh, consulting taught you that, that will be uh, forever ingrained in your heart and mind? Stand your ground. Stand your ground. What do you yeah. mean by stand your ground? Uh, because there's a, ch- there's, there's a high likelihood, at least based on my experience, uh, some of our clients actually utilize the reports that we give them as an excuse to either not do something or do something. We don't analysis want, paralysis. Yeah, we don't want our work to be an excuse. We want our work for you for you to implement the recommendations that we provided because we know it's gonna benefit your business. Oh. But if you're just gonna get the report just so you can show something to your management, then it gets stuck there, then nothing happens. Then whatever we did has no value. And I refuse for I refuse to let that happen. 
So when I engage with uh, my clients, I really tell them, we have to implement this. We won't stop with just writing a report. We have to do this because we know that this will benefit your business. Got it. Yeah. All right. But in cases that, you know, client has analysis paralysis, how do you persist? Well, <laughs> sometimes you just got to do that, right? You just got to yes. nag them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you just convince them, find different perspectives on how mm. to convince them that this will work. Yeah. Got because sometimes it. there's also a fear from the client side that, okay, this is new. I don't feel so comfortable. Mm. Yeah. So it's like hand-holding them step by got step. It. Makes sense. Yeah. Other than standing your ground, did, did consulting teach you any more stuff that again yeah, this comes as second nature to you now? Uh, because you, you can think either from an operational level or you think from a strategic level. So with the business process re-engineering projects I did, I learned how to look at things from an operational level. And with the, let's say, the go-to-market, the commercial due diligence, I even helped some, of the com- some companies raise funding. That's wow. also looking at things from a high level. So we need to be able to shift our mind. Let's say you zoom in, you zoom out within a company. So you know how things work. Because if you're always on a helicopter view, you don't know whether something can be done on the ground. But if you're always on the ground, you don't know how to get the business to move on a more strategic level. So you need to be able to go in and get out of the business. Yeah. This concept I learned from Roland Ross the first time I interviewed him in, 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 in Hustle Share when... This was before he was a Sunicorn, before Kumu was <laughs> what it is now. He he said the same thing that as a founder, it's a it's a great skill to have to be to have the ability to zoom in and zoom out. And you can't stay for long too much in zooming in and getting work done in the trenches. You have to see how everything fits together. And we're also zooming out like a hawk coasting from, from the skies. You need to be able to see if hey shit, I need to go down there and actually. Uh, yeah. fix something and it's always that process and with your co-founders i always which after learning the skill it's it's a term we really do we use now say oh joseph zoom in on that one i'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> stay on zoom out here and zoom in and then after that you regroup on zoom out like oh what happened yeah right it's a, it's a nice cadence that you have to do because especially for early stage founders say you're you're at seed or pre-seed level everything is zoom in mm. Right? You're too into the business that you cannot really run the business. Correct. Right? And sometimes you yeah. are the blocker. You need to yeah. learn how to zoom out and replace yourself on those key things that you used to do. Because again, it's all about company building at that point and having the direct one downs mm-hmm. and multiple layers of, of people after that. And it's good that you, the earlier you realize how to do that, the better. Because some founders are like decades in the game. And, and unfortunately, sometimes... They're still zoom in, and that's why they cannot scale because the only mode that they know to do how to do is zoom in, and that's what stunts the, their their growth. Yep. Okay. Now, since you've learned this skill, walk me through the leap. How did you decide that? You know what? I'm done with this consulting thing in Madrid. Though you still do this on the side, right? Uh, as a freelance, every yeah. once in a while. What was that itch, and why? climbing what why did you want to solve this problem and walk me through this process of creating you so uh, i left consulting because i eventually got bored with it if let's say you have 
like projects are similar, it's just different types of cases. You apply the same thing. You, you tend to feel that your growth has plateaued. And, and I, I, uh, I believe in being a student for life. So you want to just keep on learning, absorbing, being a sponge. And if you feel that you've plateaued in your growth, I needed to get out of that bubble that I was in. So I left Deloitte, moved to Hong Kong, did my MBA at HKUST. Wow. And one year into the program, uh, that's when I decided, okay, time to drop my classes together with Brian, my co-founder, and start Yoohoo. But wow. prior to dropping our classes, we initially had uh, our own health problems in the school. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. So I have there. That's a health problem right there. Oh, okay. yeah, I have allergic <laughs> rhinitis. <laughs> Just kidding. Me too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So uh, allergic rhinitis for me. Brian has asthma. Uh, we get our allergies inside the school, inside the dormitories, inside the business school building. Anywhere. It's Anywhere. annoying. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And when we complained to the school, let's do something about it. Nothing was being done. So we came up with this idea. We pitched it to different uh, business plan competitions uh, within the MBA program. And when we were pitching, the whole purpose was, okay, let's see if this will have legs. Uh, let's get some feedback. So we joined different uh, competitions here in Asia, uh, in the US, and our last competition was in Shanghai. So the previous wow. competitions, we didn't really win. It was really just refining, learning the perspectives. And then when we won the competition in Shanghai, we went back to Hong Kong and said, okay, I think this has legs. Let's drop our classes. Wow. Okay, what, what, yeah. what? So we said, okay, drop our classes and start the Got it, but what was the trigger point? What, how did you find out that it has legs because a lot of say people in corporate are probably stuck in the same rut right now. Mm. They know they have what it takes to create something. Mm. They're starting somewhere, but they're in between that shit. Do I leave corporate or do I jump straight in? Because it really does take off once, obviously you do the scariest thing when you jump straight in. Mm. But how do you know that trigger point? And what was that like for you? It's like, when did it have real legs? It had real legs when we were able to build the prototype, mm. a working prototype. MVP. Okay. MVP, yeah. So when we went to Shanghai, we had a working, we, we used Arduino. And then mm. we just slashed the sensors on, made sure that we can connect it to the Wi-Fi network and show all the data on the dashboard. Got it. And that was like our first prototype. and. Yeah, it was just wires all over, but at least it works. Eventually, mm. it's just about re-engineering it. So when we felt like, okay, I think this is something that we can build. And when we won the competition, because they understood that, okay, yeah, there's a market. We realized that's when we realized that it has legs because yeah. the product can be built within our own team mm -hmm. and the market is ready for it. Got it. All right, perfect. Okay, you have an MVP. Mm. But... And we probably have some savings already to at least take this head on. Yeah, but still, it's still scary as hell for sure. Now, what were the first few steps that needed? Uh, I had the MVP, then you're gonna have to, you know, sell some stuff because if not, you know, you're, you're there's no turning back now. What was that yeah. first few steps you did after you said, "All right, let's let's jump, let's <laughs> do this"? What was that uh, like? I guess August 2014, we incorporated the company. And after that, we put in all our life savings, me and Brian, into that. All in? Wow. All in. Yeah. Wow. And we just, okay, let's build, uh, let's buy the different parts to build the prototypes. Yeah. 
And one of our MBA classmates was just in a bar talking to some Swiss guy. And he was telling this guy about what we do. And said, oh, I want to meet Dustin and Brian. So we yeah. met up. He's actually uh, an engineer who has a factory in China. And he offered, uh, why don't I help you guys build your first manufactured product? And we went from like just wires all over or boards all over the table mm -hmm. to a manufactured chip and a 3D printed nice. uh, hardware in four months. And okay. then we went to Tech in Asia Jakarta Startup Arena. Wow. With chipset is actually connected to the Wi-Fi network. And we have uh, an iOS app ready that is showing all the data in real time and the charts. So when we were in Tech in Asia Jakarta, we were just, yeah, just showing it, getting feedback. And uh, we competed on stage as well with the, in the startup arena. We didn't win, but eventually I met up with uh, the judges afterwards just to get more feedback from them. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the funny thing was, you, you know, those stories where people say, oh, uh, they raise funding over just one cup of coffee. Yep. That actually happened to us. Wow. Okay. Tell yeah. us the story. How did, <laughs> what type of coffee? And then <laughs> how did this happen? Yeah, that, it, it was actually ice cream, not coffee. So, okay, nice. <laughs> so I, I, I reached back out to one of the judges. Uh, okay. It was uh, Wilson from East Ventures. And East. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The then most aggressive VC uh, coming from India. Yes, yeah. Yes, very, yeah. Yep. So I was in Hong Kong then. Then I went back to Singapore. We met in Swenson's ice cream okay. store in Bishan area. Yeah. Within 10, 15 minutes, he said, I like you guys. I want to invest. I'll be your first investor. And I told him, we're not ready to take money. We, we want to make sure that what? we are able to get the product to work at a certain degree. And we'll only take money when we need to build the tooling, the mold, the production mold, because yeah. that's the big chunk of the cost. Got it. That was in right after Tech in Asia. So November, December 2014. Got it. And when we ran out of our own savings, uh, I dropped Wilson another message around, I guess, March mm. 2015. Flew back to Singapore, met him in Starbucks. <laughs> and within five minutes, the term sheet was sent to me that night. One, two weeks of negotiation. We signed a term sheet and the money was wired in me. Yeah. Oh. So, so it was really fast back then when yeah. we raised that first round. But yeah, here's the thing. Before you raised that first round, you said you ran out of savings mm. already, ran out of money. Mm. That's scary as hell. I know that feeling when you have nothing and you're fighting for survival. And most mm. people will count you out. Mm. Most people think. And this is where, you know, you're a real startup founder where you realize that, okay, we're almost re really out of money, but it's not really over till you say it's over. Yeah. Because as a founder, as long as you always are hell bent to find a way to survive and you refuse to die and you take on the mentality of a cockroach startup, mm. then you will plow through. Before you even got that first check, what did you guys do during that phase where everything was dwindling down? Just most people will. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll have gold feet and start sending their resumes back out there. Yeah. Right? And what was that like for you? Yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. But we, we decided that we, we really need to do this. We want to do this because it will have impact on people's lives. So we decided, okay, let's 
push it to the maximum that we can push it for, we mm. knew that we won't be able to manufacture products. We won't be able to sell because we're still at the R&D stage. So if we were to raise funding, it's really going to be for R&D. It's not for launching the product. It's to complete uh, building the product before we can even launch it. So it. for us, the way we viewed it is we're at this stage. There's no loss for any employee. It's just me and Brian. And we had an intern back then. But Got once it. you start growing, you have employees. You're responsible for Ooh. the well-being of all, all your employees. So that's where the pressure comes in. That's where it really is, Kate. Right? Yeah. The bigger that team, the harder it is to you know, pick that yep. thing. But again, it's the same thing. It's just that the stakes are high. Yep. If you just that's refuse right. to die and take on the mantle of being a cockroach startup, mm. eventually you're going to hit, hit the jackpot again and you're going to, you know, um, yep. you see that light at the end of the tunnel. And that's mm-hmm. where the real fun actually comes in because you get pushed to the wall. When you get pushed to the wall, your best work comes up. Yeah. The best founders do their best work when their back's against the wall. Right. So, okay. Now you have East. Walk me through the next steps. How did you guys get traction after R&D? What was, you know, the, what was GTM like? Because you used to do this for other people, go to market, right? <laughs> what, what was that like for you guys now? Yep. Yeah. So what, once we got the money in, we continued the R&D. We were able mm-hmm. to use it to create the production mold. Yeah. That was the biggest chunk of the expense. Okay. And in 2016, May of 2016, we were running out of cash already. Oh, no. Uh, and then we launched the Indiegogo campaign. We needed to just launch the product and see whether, yeah, people will adopt it or not. So we did the Indiegogo campaign. We were trying to raise $50,000. Okay. We got 50000 in less than 48 hours. That's yeah, amazing. So, yeah, so it was, I don't know, it was lucky, I guess, that we, we, we got to sell that many in 48 hours. And, and the way we framed it was, uh, I think we were only selling it at 199 yeah. We'd be testing the market, what the price would be. So we had a version that was for eight sensors at 199 and five yeah. sensors at 149 So we wanted to see where the market would go. And roughly 90% of the market went for the eight sensors, even if it's more expensive. So it means that people value more sensors compared to fewer sensors. Got it. So, okay, yeah. let's just dumb it down a little bit. The, the, final, the first, not the first, the iteration of the product when you went to Indiegogo, let's, let's make it less jargony for those people. What did you guys eventually build at this point that, were that, that allowed you to raise $50,000 that quickly? Uh, we built marketing content. <laughs> we built marketing content. No, yeah, but so, marketing yep. product content around what type of product that we're what's supposed to do. Yeah. So uh, basically, back then we were looking at measuring eight parameters for one product to help customers improve their health and working. But okay. in terms of how the product looked like, we didn't have it manufactured yet. So it's mm-hmm. still on, it's not on the drawing board, but we already have prototypes that we can show in the video. It's working products, but we could, it's not mass production products yet. Got it. Yeah. So that's the stage we were at because we need money to do a mass production. Because if you're a hardware company, there are minimum yeah. order quantities that you yep. need to put in. Which Those MOQs are not chunks of your cash. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Right. Are there also tall manufacturers that also do this for you technically, or do you have to do it yourself? 
uh, we work with we outsource the manufacturing, but we uh, all the design is done in. Yeah, yeah. Well, just like yeah. with cosmetics and 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 so sorry, my yeah. wife, my wife has this brand also that she does. So same thing. Ah, it's her firm okay. formulas, but she wants she outsources it uh, because yeah. we don't want too many oils in our house that that uh, <laughs> that, that, that that runs through. But okay, so two things. Um, so you have that prototype. Mm. People jump in. And this is what I want to zero in because there's now a ticking clock also. When you raise that much money, you need to deliver because these people actually didn't just give you money for nothing. They are expecting yep. something back. That's How right. did you then go from that to, again, reaching your MOQ and then putting the, the product out there? Yeah, so that, that was the scary part. Because mm. when we launched the Indiegogo campaign, we were already almost out of cash, right? We had like yeah. two months left. And then we mm. launched the campaign. We're not going to get the cash from Indiegogo, I think, a month after the campaign. Oh, ends. God. So we it's had. Tight. Yeah, it's very tight. So mm. we had zero uh, money to put into marketing. So it was basically after those first two days, everything was organic already. Wow. So. Eventually, we ended up raising, I think, 75000 in total. We could have raised more if we had the cash to do the marketing, but we didn't. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, it just maximized at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I told the team, there were already five of us. Everybody, no salaries for three months. Shit. Yeah, because if we don't do that, company is dead. And luckily, the three people who joined, they, they agreed to it. And I told them, once the money from Indiegogo camp comes in, we'll back pay you all the three months. So we prioritize the employees. That's amazing. No, no, I'm amazed with those three people. They yep. must love the thing that they're doing with you so much that yep. they took that sacrifice too because I cannot even fathom asking my employees that. The first thing off the wall always is founder salaries. And as founders mm-hmm. in any startup, get ready to not get salary for a long yep. time, especially <laughs> That's right. at the start. You're going to have to figure out how, to, how you're going to survive because company eats first. You eat last, right? Leaders eat last, yep. right? Um, yep. God, how, how did you get them to do that? That's very heroic of them. Or do they have equity now? How did you get them to do that? I guess they just believe in the vision wherein we want to help people live healthier. Initially, that's what we were. That's how we were pitching. It's always mm-hmm. about health and well-being. Yeah. I mean, the, that original team is still with us today, except for one because of COVID. She had to oh, leave no. the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the other two are still with us today, and uh, I, I guess it's really all about that camaraderie as well, because we don't really just treat them as employees. It's like we have open conversations yeah. and all that. It's like, yeah, it's talking. These are your ride or die people, man. You, you, yeah. If you, they already done that for you, that they are co-founder material. Yep. Already. Right. That's right. All right. So you got that done. Was it rainbows and butterflies after that? What was that? No, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. It was like it was crazy because now there's a timeline to deliver, right? So right. we got the money in. We need to make sure we deliver to the customers, and mm-hmm. we tried to raise funding. So that was mm-hmm. around August of 2016. We were trying to raise funds. We had we we've shown product market fit. It works. Now we need the funds to produce a product to deliver and to continue selling. Yep. So August couldn't raise funds. September we couldn't raise. And then eventually one of my contacts in Hong Kong, he moved to a new company in Singapore. So he's the head 
for the whole division in Singapore. Wow. I'm not going to name the company. Uh, it's a large uh, filtration company from Europe. Uh, I think five, six billion in revenue. What? And, oh, right. yeah. That's and crazy. they wanted to enter this field where we're in. And they saw our Indiegogo campaign. Uh, they wanted to buy uh, a few, some units at that discounted price. But by then, ARP is no longer that. We're already at the market price of 329. Correct. And he said, and they said that we want to buy at your Indiegogo price of 149, but we'll take 500 units. Wow. Yep. Then, then it, it took like two, three weeks of negotiation. I told him we can't do 149. We'll have to go with the market price. Mm. But for us at that time, we were already dying, but I wasn't showing that we're, <laughs> we're dying as a company. You, have you are standing your ground. Yeah, standing your ground. Yeah, yeah, old old school Deloitte hustle right there. Yep. Yeah, and eventually I negotiated. Okay, we'll agree to to one forty nine dollars per unit, but you have to buy at least a thousand. Double the quantity. Double the quantity. The very next day they signed the contract. Ooh. Yeah. So immediately one hundred forty nine thousand dollars in revenue. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and and we 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 told them that we won't be able to deliver this immediately because we're still doing R and D. So what we need to do is you need to pay us a down payment, 50%, for us to be able to complete this. They agreed. So uh, money came in, 75000 came in. Now we can breathe again. I can pay the employees, <sighs> get another person on board to help build the product. Right. Yeah. And we promised to deliver to them in December of 2016. Uh, we weren't able to meet the timeline. Oh, uh, we delivered it in... March. How, how crazy was it for those three months? It was really, really crazy. Yeah. How, define crazy. What, what's that like? Because again, this happens all the time in startups. Mm. They say, ah, we're going we're gonna to launch on this date. But mm. you know what? In technology, shit will break all the time. There's yes. always so many things that, you know, that will go wrong. That's why it's always, it's so hard to create a a finite date timeline you want to have a finite product timeline yeah before you launch because the last thing you want to do is launch prematurely with a shitty ass product and then people start using it and if they're not happy they're never coming back yep. and that's all right. that work that you worked you did prior is down the drain yep that's right so how did you what what happened those three months yeah, it's yeah, it's not no sleep at all. So oh, Brian, the engineering team, it's really like twenty four seven, making sure the product works, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we can get all the parts, we can buy the parts to manufacture mm-hmm. it. So that fifty percent down payment was for salaries and to buy the components. And uh, but luckily, uh, we joined an accelerator program in Europe, uh, in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did it remotely because we didn't have the cash to fly over. Mm. But what happened was in 2017, they asked me to fly over for their uh, somewhat like a demo day aspect to it. So I went there, did a three-minute pitch that same night for no reason. Six angels came on board, gave us $200,000. And like, we just love the vision that you have. Then that's that we want to help you. And you have this client that bought a thousand units. They didn't know that we're at the brink of death, but right. we still got 
we were able to put that together. Yeah. So the, that amount of cash that came in allowed us to uh, build more, hire another staff, another engineer, and to build, uh, to buy the parts. That would be sufficient to fulfill the orders from Indiegogo. Got it. Yeah. So it was, yeah. th those, those few months were crazy. We're like, that we just need to find ways to get the money in to be able to build the product and deliver. Yeah. Yep. But that's where the real startup hustle comes in. Because again, there's this false sense of, you know, the, the first ascent in the roller coaster, mm. right? They're like, oh, there's so much anticipation, then boom, you fall out. Yeah. Most people don't make it out that first fall. Mm. Because, like, ah, I'm done that. We're not going to do it. But the real startups that make it past a lot of, again, that, that really do succeed. It's, it's varying levels of su success, okay? Some people get to unicorn territory. But survival mm. is already a big milestone in startups, okay? Yep. Just the fact that you did not die, that you refused to quit, that you grew your team, that you have happy customers and you scaled. It doesn't have to be a unicorn for you to take utmost pride and say, we fucking figured it out, right? Yeah. So after that, was it a better next stretch at that point? Uh, it was a bit better because at okay. least we had a bit of cash to be able yeah. to uh, move the company. And for the whole of 2017, we were running on revenue. Nice. So we, yeah, we had that cash from the investors to be able to buy the materials and to pay salary for, I think, six, seven months. And then after that, everything was running on revenue. And we nice. were just like roughly breaking even every month. Yeah. And then we decided that, okay, we cannot run the company this way because if we need to buy product, the components again, we need to, we need the cash. Yeah. So we decided, okay, let's go back to fundraising mode. Because so, so this is how the story went. Uh, I was cold emailing a lot, a lot of funds. I mean, we have a hardware component. Funds generally move away from it. So it's hard to find investors. And Endeavor introduced, sent our pitch deck to Nix. Little, wow. Yeah. And he said that this is not uh, up my alley. So he forwarded it to Raymond Rufino. Wow. Yeah. So Raymond is NetGroup, Neo Offices. Yep. Neo build, Buildings in BGC. And he said, oh, this is really good. This is all about sustainability. We met up. He said, oh, I want to be part of your company. And then he said, uh, I'm an LP of Wavemaker. I'll introduce you to Wavemaker. And I've been trying to contact Wavemaker for a year. Couldn't get a response. Yep. Yeah. So he introduced us to Paul. We had a meeting. One month later, we got the term sheet. What? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But before we even bought the term sheet from Wavemaker, uh, Raymond came in plus one of our existing angels and two new angels. We basically already completed half of the round. Then Wavemaker came in just to complete the other half. Got it. All right. That's yeah. amazing. I, I love this story of tenacity and just grit. It's just grit. I, I, yeah, it's, it's just it, grit. It, man, <laughs> that's it. And then and again, that's why founders who have been here long enough just that's had the mutual respect towards each other. Because the when you're saying that, I, I recall so many stories of shit that happened to me uh, before that. Man, you know, there's so many things that you can only control, but you can control your grit. Mm. It's just that refusal to just fucking 
stay down because you're going to get punched and beat down to a pulp. But if you always get up, you'll, you'll have a fighting chance. And again, yeah. that's where it is. All right, let's, let's take our last break. And when we come back, let's now figure out what's the current modern iteration of you who and what's next for you guys as you continue to scale this amazing story. Let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoostTime deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. 
With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. DragonPay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit DragonPay is. DragonPay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer. Trust DragonPay. We're back in the break. We are still with Dustin Ong Han Singh. There you go. Who then told us the hustle of getting through getting funding from WaveMaker? So from that point on, what was what did you guys do next? Was it still the same product? Did you iterate? Did you add more products? What's the how did you scale further? Or was there another wall or another mountain you had to go through? <laughs> The, the the wall the mountain is always there so when we raise and it gets around, bigger it too gets by bigger. the way yeah mm-hmm. like because we, we we started building the team we started growing it we started growing our revenues but then our revenue was focused on device sales so it's a one time purchase and generally that's not so attractive to VCs yeah. people like that MRR not the one yeah. night stand MRR okay. that's right yeah and eventually once we started getting to the market we had some corporations started knocking on our doors, telling us, hey, we want to put your solution into our offices. We want to put it into our buildings. But our product was made for the residential market. So within like three, four months, we built a business dashboard for our customers and just started charging subscription fees for it. We tested that out in 2019. We started getting some traction for it. So we decided, okay, then this dashboard properly because that's the way we're going to be able to grow an MRR revenue stream. So that's what we did. And then we were looking at scaling it up in 2020. We started uh, doing R&D of a commercial product. So it's not, it's no longer just a residential device. We wanted to build a commercial device that is suited for offices. And we, based on our learnings of deploying the residential product in offices, we're going to we design it based on how people would actually use it. Yeah, so it's a lot of learnings along the way in terms of using a residential product in the corporate setting and then designing a corporate product based on what we learned. Exactly. And it, yeah. and coming from experience, it's actually coming from B2C and going to B2B, it's actually an easier hustle because you're not trying to... It, it's hard, but it's easier because the type of fish you're trying to go through are very much defined and targeted. You see them right away. It just takes a longer sales cycle. Some people don't pay on time. Some people will delay. Procurement takes forever and all these things. But it's still easier and the check sizes are bigger. And the most important thing is they pay that MRR. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) Um, Was that easier to do than B2C? Uh, The contracts are nicer. Because it's not yes. a one-time payment, and the contracts are bigger, so that's that, that's the nice part with B two B. But I mean, as you know, COVID hit, so oh god, yeah, we wanted to scale in B two B in twenty twenty. That's what we were trying to do, and then COVID hit. So we were also again 
at the brink of dying because it's oh already been like almost two years since we raised the round. And it was like in the middle of COVID. So what we did was in April, I told the entire team, okay, everybody, we need to make sure that the companies are okay. we need to cut the entire team's salary by 50%. So everybody had a pay cut for of 50% starting, I think, April. And then oh from there, we were able, then we decided, okay, uh, I cannot just focus on fundraising. I need to make sure the business survives. And by May of 2020, we launched the Yuhu Virus Index. We patented it. We are the only ones, we were the first and the only one in the market that can tell you if your home or your office will allow COVID to survive and be more transmissible. Based wow. On okay. Yeah. So that created a lot of traction in the market. So, but since everybody was locked down at home, all our sales were going to the residential market. So we didn't get any MRR in 2020. It was very little. Yeah. But, in fact, but you got volume though. We got more volume. Yes. yes. To the point that third and fourth of 2020 were breaking even in the fourth quarter was profitable. Nice. Yeah. So that's what happened. And so we eventually raised uh, around in, I think, July or August of 2020. We didn't even nice. touch the cash because the company was breaking even and profitable and revenues were growing. So, nice. we only, so when, with that cash that we raised, we decided, okay, we have to complete the R&D of the commercial product, which is called the Yuhu Aura. Right. So we used that cash to, yeah, basically complete the product, which we eventually, well, we did a product launch in February of 2021, but we only okay. started shipping in September of 2021. Then yeah. shit happens, shit and happens. I totally understand, but at yeah. least you've been there before. All, yeah. all it takes is surviving that, that shit there. And sometimes, even if you don't survive it, it will just uh, leave an indelible mark. And you kind of have a playbook of what to do and what not to do at that point. All right. Now, at this point, what, what's it like in 2022? What, what's Yuhu like? Because again, let's just say, hopefully the pandemic's over. Is the B2B hustle back? Because again, people are going to start going to the fucking offices again. Uh, people, people are being forced to do it, whether they like it or not. And of course, there's going to be a lot of pushback from that after seeing that we can actually work from home. Yeah. But what's 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 next for you guys? Well, uh, I guess a lot of the focus is uh, getting the B two B market because that's where we can actually scale, deploy yeah. more units, uh, get the MRR up. Yeah. And the, the the whole value proposition really is it goes back to our uh, our north star, which is all about sustainability, health, and well being. We have this thing called the sick building syndrome or SBS. Where and when you mm. go inside the building, you just feel like shit when you're in there. It's like yeah. you feel stuffy, there's a stench, but people in that building just tolerate it because they don't have the information, they don't have the means to actually fix it. Mm. So this is a, a this is a problem that we want to address. And if your building is actually healthier compared to another, you can charge higher rent. The capital value of your building goes up. That's the incentive for the building owner. Whereas, let's say, if you're a company, you want to make sure that your staff are safe. So it's health and well-being. That's what we want to help companies achieve. And there's this thing called the well certification. Uh, it's a certification that you can obtain for your office or for your building 
to say that it is a healthy place. And when we look at uh, ESG today, there's a lot of focus on the E, which is environment. Uh, it's trying to just reduce carbon footprint, energy savings. Then you have the G, which is governance. It's all about uh, auditing, making sure you have a good board of directors, you have proper reporting and tracking. But the S is not really being focused on. It's like the lost middle child of ESG. And this is the aspect of ESG that we focus a lot on. It's making sure that you have a healthy workplace. You make sure people are safe when they're there. And then with the data that we have, you can push our data into your annual sustainability reporting, which is already being looked at by a lot of investors and it's being prioritized. So if you have this kind of information, especially if you're a publicly listed company, your shareholder value goes up. That's because it means you're being responsible to the planet. Of All course, right. we also contribute on the E part, wherein we use the carbon footprint of your building as well, which we've right. seen with a number of our clients. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Now, let's, before we let you go, let me just ask you a couple of uh, uh, advice that we can pass over to the founders. Because again, you, you, you have had an amazing, gritty story. But as a founder, Dustin, how did you cope and what's your advice for coping for those? near-death experiences okay because every one of you guys i swear to god you're gonna you're gonna get hit by this nobody is immune and if you make it through great if you don't make it through that's okay but as a founder how did you cope with these things and how did you end up creating your best moves uh that, 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 again, brought you to where you guys are today. I guess, don't panic. Yeah, because if you're, if you're really pushed to the wall, sometimes you will just not be rational. So you got to stay rational. You got to hold your ground and still show that, yeah, you can do this even without the investor. Because you know you can. It's just how you find a way to get there. Yeah. So that's very important. It's not about, it's not lying. It's about standing your ground. Yeah, because you built value. It's about them appreciating the value. Right. I, I also call that sometimes. You just know when you know. And sometimes we call it irrational confidence, right? That you <laughs> yeah. know what? Fuck it. Yeah, it looks really dumb and bleak. And most rational people will say we're fucked and we're dead. Mm. But as a founder, you got to have that irrational confidence in you. That you know what? Regardless of how bad the cards you're dealt with you'll find a way to flip it and create an amazing uh, product or situation that's going to get you out and when you do it's 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 a matter of see told you guys <laughs> don't count us out yep. we are cockroaches there you go we will not be hit by a nuclear winner but yeah um other things so cash flow another very important thing right? During times where you really need to make sure that you need to survive, other than salaries, how did you manage to make sure that cash doesn't run out? Because again, if you're going to get hit with this type of shit, you're going to have to make tough, tough choices, right? Cut salaries, delay some shit, whatever. But what's your advice in maintaining cash flow in, in, in rainy days, during rainy days? What, what's that like? Negotiate with your suppliers. That's very important. So a standard contract is you pay the manufacturer 50% upfront 
you wait for four to six months, then they deliver you the goods. But before they deliver, you pay them the 50% balance. That's a standard manufacturing contract. Got it. For us, in our case, we negotiated with our manufacturer 20% upfront. And then terms. You ship mm-hmm. us the product first, then we'll pay you in terms. So it, it allows us to ease our cash flow. And we got our manufacturer on board as an investor. Got so it makes sense. something in it for them as well. So that's how we manage our cash flow uh, on that aspect. But of course, on a daily aspect, you also want to make sure you don't want to just overhire a team. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you hire as your revenue grows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So timing really and really good, smart financial decisions, which again, I'm pretty sure your consulting yeah. background helped you um, uh, get. Because again, if you didn't have that, then man, you're going to be making a lot of stupid moves for sure. Right? So thank God you had that uh, Deloitte <laughs> hustle in you. But last, last, but definitely not the least. Um, how do you lead in during dark times? Because, okay, cash flows there. You're going to have to psych yourself up and have irrational confidence, stand your ground. But at the end of the day, you're not alone. Mm. And you have to rally the team, even if they know that they're, <laughs> you're about to die, you're about to flatline. But what, what, what's your leadership tips during these times to make sure that, you know, you everybody still goes chasing after that North Star. It's, uh, I guess when people join the team, you don't treat them as just employees. You get to know people because it becomes more personal. I mean, business is not just business. Business is personal. You cannot do business if it's not personal. Yes. Right? So uh, even within your team, it's, it has to be personal. And transparency. You have to be open uh, to the team. Yeah. And for me, my leadership style is... I let you guys do what you want to do. This is what we want to achieve. Find a way to get there. Got it. You have the autonomy to get there. But we, the this North, is our goal. We need to get there. The North Star is defined. Build a fucking ladder yep. to get there. Yeah. And support you. You know what? This is easily one of the most truest, most truest, truest and amazing episodes <laughs> that we've had here in quite a while. Amazing hustle, Dustin. But before I let you go, if people want to work with you or say avail of your products because they're scared and they want to be uh, having a more healthy and sustained environment, uh, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, uh, you can visit our website at getyuhu.com. So that's G-E-T-U-H-O-O.com. And if you want to reach out to me, it's Dustin at getyuhu.com. There you go. Amazing story, Justin. And we wish you well. I'm pretty sure you're you. whatever startup life throws at you. <laughs> it's just easy now because you've been through the worst. But before I let you go, follow us whatever podcast app you listen to, whether Spotify or Apple or any type of podcast. And if you see a five-star rating there, use a five-star. Come on. So that we can get incentivized to keep doing great content. All right? This is a hustle too. We've been doing this for over three years now. But if you also did say some jargon, it's going to be in the show notes and hustle share com and lastly if you want to be part of the community it's going to be hustle share community on facebook again dustin thank you very much thank you for having me as well Ron. all right and i'll see you guys in the next episode peace